Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We are moving on into Job as we've been cruising through the Bible. Nice to have you guys with us. I am pretty much my last day here in beautiful Severville, Severville, however you say it, um, near Gatlinburg and uh, Pitch and Forge. We'll be heading out of here tomorrow, so probably do a simulated live for tomorrow morning, but join us anyway. We'll be li- essentially live tomorrow morning, same time. And the weather here, 37 degrees Fahrenheit, feels like about 32 because we've got a really high humidity, but the sun is out. We're going to go enjoy our last day and take the kids. Yesterday, we haven't played mini golf. We had a blast with, with the grandkids, and uh, indoor, by the way, not outside, and had a wonderful time. In, up in Gatlinburg. So let's go ahead and pray and we will get into the word. Father, thank you for this morning. Guide us and directing us as you always do. Show us the insights, God. Give us the deep, the deep things that we long to understand the reason uh, why Job had these things or what you tried to teach Job, what you were trying to speak to him and even to his friends as well as Matthew and, and your teaching Jesus. So of the way that we're to walk with you. So thank you, God, for these truths and the things you want to show us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Job 5, let's take a look. Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn? For anger slays the foolish man, and jealousy kills the simple. I have seen the foolish taking root, and I cursed his abode immediately. His sons are far from safety. They are even oppressed in the gate, and there is no deliverer. His harvest the hungry devourer, and take it to a place of thorns. And the schemer is eager for their wealth, for affliction does not come from the dust nor does trouble sprout from the ground. For a man is born for trouble, as sparks fly upward. But as for me, I would seek God, and I would place my cause before God, who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain on the earth, and he sends water on the fields so that he sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the plotting of the shrewd, so that their hands cannot attain success. He captures the wise by their own shrewdness, and the advice of the cunning is quickly thwarted. By day they meet with darkness, and grope at noon as in the night. But he saves from the sword of their mouth, and the poor from the hand of the mighty. So the helpless has hope, and 
unrighteousness must shut its mouth. Behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he inflicts pain and gives relief. He wounds and his hands also heal. From six troubles he will deliver you, even in seven evil will not touch you. In famine he will redeem you from death, and in war from the power of the sword. You will be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you will not be afraid of violence when it comes. You will laugh at violence and famine, and you will not be afraid of wild beasts, for you will be in league with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure, for you will visit your abode and fear no loss. You will know also that your descendants will be many, and your offspring as the grass of the earth. You will come to the grave in full vigor, like the stacking of grain in its season. Behold, this we have investigated it, and so it is. Hear it and know for yourself. Then Job answered, Oh, that my grief were actually weighed and laid in the balances together with my calamity, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the seas. Therefore, my words have been rash, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me, their poison my spirit drinks, the terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray over his grass, or does the ox low over his fodder? Can something tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are like loathsome food to me. Oh, that my request might come to pass, and that God would grant me longing. Would that God were willing to crush me, that he would lose his hand and cut me off. But it is still my consolation, and I rejoice in unsparing pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should endure? Is my strength the strength of stones? Or is my flesh bronze? Is it that my help is not within me? And that deliverance is driven from me? For the despairing man, there should be kindness from his friend, so that he does not forsake the fear of the Almighty. My brothers have acted deceitfully, like a wadi, like the torrents of wadis, which vanish, which are turbid because of ice, and into which the snow melts. When they become waterless, they're silent. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of their course wind along, they go up into nothing and perish. The caravans of Tima looked, the travelers of Sheba hoped for them, and they were disappointed, for they had trusted. They came there 
and were confounded. Indeed, you have now become such. You see a terror and are afraid. Have I said, give me something or offer a bribe for me from your wealth or deliver me from the hand of the adversary or redeem me from the hand of the tyrants? Teach me and I will be silent and show me how I have erred. How painful are honest words, but what does your argument prove? Do you intend to reprove my words when the words of one in despair belong to the wind? Would you even cast lots for the orphans and martyr over your friends? Now please look at me and see if I lie to your face. Desist now, let there be no injustice. Even desist, my righteousness is yet in it. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern calamities? Is not man forced to labor on earth and are not his days like the days of a hired man? As a slave who pants for the shade and as a hired man who eagerly waits for his wages, so I am allotted months of vanity and nights of trouble are appointed me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I rise? But when the night continues and I am continually tossing until dawn, my flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is but breath. My eye will not again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no longer. Your eyes will be on me, but I will not be. When a cloud vanishes, it is gone. So he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He will not return again to his house, nor will his place know him anymore. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the sea monster that you set a guard over me? If I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my soul would choose suffocation, death, rather than my pains. I waste away. I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are but a breath. What is man that you magnify him, and that you are concerned about him, that you examine him every morning and try him every moment? Will you never turn your gaze away from me? nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target, so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust, and you will seek me, but I will not be. Job 5. Seven. I appreciate Job's honesty. He's completely 
pouring out everything that's within him. He is, he is in bitter distress and he's upset and he doesn't see any end to what he's going through. He thinks he's just going to die and any goodness that was in his life was gone. And when he says you go to the grave or go to Sheol and not rise up again, that's talking about physical bodily death on this planet, not referring to uh, not believing in, in an afterlife. He just referring to Sheol as that place of the dead. When my body dies, I can't come back to my house. That's all he's saying there. But he's, he's pouring out his heart to his friends. And he's upset at his friends because they're supposed to be the friends that bring him comfort. And he's saying, you're doing anything but bringing me comfort. You're bringing me terrors at night. I think about what you guys are saying. And it frightens me to the point where I'd rather just be dead. He's, he is in that place where some of us go at times in our life where being alive doesn't even make sense. And he, he seems to think in his anguish that what's appointed to him now is going to be for the rest of his days. But we're going to see just the opposite. And he's wondering why God bothers with man. And why does God concentrate or focus on man? He even talks about, you know, a, a daily basis. Why do you consider about us? Or why do you look at us and be involved in our life every day? And we can take that on and, and look at the other side of that and say, praise God that the God of this universe is a personal God that does take note of us, that is involved in our life. Now, when it when you misunderstand what God is doing, obviously, you can see it as God is the oppressor trying to destroy you or damage you or hurt you. And when you don't understand what you don't understand is that God is allowing this or he is simply not acting yet and you are I should say um, taking the consequences for something that goes on in your life God does not always intervene to save us from ourselves we do some pretty dumb things here Job did not some of you did not do anything to deserve what you've gotten but sometimes we do every situation is different but it's just a matter of time and a matter of trusting because Job's got to work through his emotions as we all have to and get back to the place where he says, even though he slay me, yet I will trust him. We've all got to get back to that place. And this is what the psalmists go through a lot when you read the Psalms and the Proverbs, but they get to that point where everything's going wrong. They said, but even then, I love the psalmist, even when, when I remembered the house of the Lord, when I remembered how God is holy and I went there and I experienced him and I got back into his presence, then I remembered that he is good, that he is holy and God puts everything in perspective for you. And you may realize, well, maybe my situation won't get better for a long time, but still God is holy. Even though he slighted me, I will praise him because we are free inside when we do that. We are free from the oppression and the depression and the sadness. Um, Paul went through this. You guys know this. David went through this. Um, Job is going through this. You can find a peace that surpasses understanding in the midst of the worst trials in your life. You can. Ask anybody that's a solid believer that loves the Lord with all their heart, that 
has gone through cancer, is going through cancer. And they've been in that dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death. And maybe they're coming out of it, or maybe they're still in it. But the true believer that knows the Lord have, have all found a deeper love for the Lord. My friend Ingrid who wrote her book, phenomenal book, stage four cancer twice or whatever it is. She, she said, man, I wasn't anywhere near the closest to the Lord as I am now because of this. So this is what God does to many of us to bring us to that place. So the encouragement is wait on the Lord. Don't give up. He will come through. He will come through and it will change. So let's now move on to Matthew 8, 18 through 34. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, Permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep, and they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? When he came to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine, feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city, and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. Behold, a whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. Now, why would they implore him to leave their region if he had just done a great miracle and delivered these two men? Well, we find out that they're Jews. They're not supposed to be eating swine. They're not supposed to have anything to do with them, part of the law. But they're living on the other side of the lake, other side of the law. They're living to gain wealth. They want to 
be a part of the lucrative food business that the Gentiles love to eat and they loved it to eat it as well. So they placed economics above their faith and their walk with God. And so Jesus is interesting, goes over there, and he goes over there for a reason. He knows he needs to go deliver these men. Now, one of the gospels says it was one man. The other gospel here says, Matthew says it was two. People get stumbled over that. Most theologians agree that agree that it's just a, um, um, or would you say, a scribal uh, technique, I should say, or the author's technique of perspective. There was one that spoke, one that was obviously, that was um, speaking for the two, and so one gospel focuses on him, and the other focuses on both. And I don't, I think there's some great lessons we can learn from that, but overall, it's not important. What is important, Jesus goes over there to heal this man. And again, this is around the area. This is right there at the base of Mount Bashan, up in the Golan Heights. And again, what he's doing is he's laying claim to his divinity, and he's proclaiming to these demons that were essentially the realm, the whole realm of the satanic realm and those fallen angels the watchers who came down, who started to have these hybrid race, this they came down at Mount Bashan in this area, and they were laying claim to the earth. And so this is still the same area, very close to Caesarea Philippi, up in that northern area. And so Jesus is saying, I have all power and authority. I am the God of this world. He's laying claim to his authority over the demonic realm. They no longer can have authority to dominate and control human beings and indwell them. And so he goes to cast them out. They ask permission to go into the swine, obviously. They have no authority of their own over Jesus to do anything they want. They could not even flee, if you noticed, when he was there in the presence of these men. They had no way to flee from him. And they don't want to be cast in to the to the abyss, which they know is their destiny. So much good theology here. They know that there is an end. They know that they're eventually going to go to the abyss, but they want more time. So they ask to go into the swine. And Jesus says, okay. But because the swine were not a part of the the what was part of the Jewish diet at that time, or whatever, the swine run down into the uh, the water, a symbol of where they were going to go. The swine are destroyed. Now the people are upset because they're losing income. So they, they get upset at him. Why would anyone be so upset when Jesus came to set someone free and get upset about Jesus coming into their presence? These people don't want everlasting life per se. They're, they're not looking for what's better and their lives and, and what can benefit them eternally. They're only looking for the short term. And this is what's so sad about what's going on even today. These same things are still going on today. People go to church and people aren't serious. They're more looking for the short term, not the long term. And they don't want Jesus to get involved with their business. They don't want Jesus to get involved with how they run their life. And for so many people, they're missing out on the benefit of letting God come in and heal, and restore. I don't know if there's a direct correlation there, but 
it sure is a possibility. Well, let's look over to Charles Spurgeon now. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, Genesis 9:14. Just now clouds are plentiful enough, but we are not afraid that the world will be destroyed by a deluge. We see the rainbow often enough to prevent our having any such fears. The covenant which the Lord made with Noah stands fast, and we have no doubts about it. Why then should we think that the clouds of trouble which now darken our sky will end our destruction? Let us dismiss such groundless and dishonoring fears. Faith always sees the bow of covenant promise whenever sense sees the cloud of affliction. God has a bow with which he might shoot his arrows of destruction. But see, it is turned upward. It is a bow without an arrow or a string. It is a bow hung out for show, no longer used for war. It is a bow of many colors, expressing joy and delight, and not a bow of blood, red, slaughter, or black with anger. Let us be of good courage. Never does God so darken our sky as to leave his covenant without witness. And even if he did, we would trust him since he cannot change or lie or in any other way fail to keep his covenant of peace until the waters go over the earth again. We shall have no reason for doubting our God. That's amazing and beautiful and true. And I love the imagery. The bow is really turned upward. He's not shooting down from heaven. He doesn't want to shoot his arrows of destruction upon us. What is fascinating about this, we have this promise. He will never destroy the earth again by deluge. Essentially, he is never going to destroy the earth again in any way, not according to scripture. We have that confidence. Next time it's going to be by fire. But we have this cause. So when we see these doomsday predictions of what's going to come, the earth can be destroyed by a nuclear blast you know, next year and it's going to happen. Certainly the globe could be greatly damaged by uh, war and nuclear war or a meteor. It will not be destroyed until the end of the tribulation. So we know that to be a case. So we don't have to live in that kind of fear. I remember when planet Nibiru was coming by and that was a big thing a few years ago and it was coming close and there was thinking that that was it. And there's even now an asteroid coming in, going to be close to us in 2029. Now, my personal opinion is it could be in the middle of the tribulation when that thing gets here. I don't know. But people are worried about that. What is astounding to me is it's a promise of life from God and a promise that as long as mankind will choose to walk with him and follow his ways, that he will never again destroy the earth. It, it was a sign of a new beginning, the rainbow. And look how the enemy has taken it and turned it around and made it something that it was not given to us for. It's a symbol now of man's rebellion and mankind's insistence on having his own way instead of the Lord's way. It's sad. We need to pray for those 
that look to that symbol for that reason and not for the hope of humanity and be giving up a new start. It should be a celebration that God is a God of mercy and grace and gives us second chances. That's what it should be. Well, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning and giving us this time together for blessing us and always, God, giving us a new day. The sun will continue to come up. We will continue to live on this planet until you have called the last believer home and you have touched the lives of those who have been wayward and been away from you until you come, God, and pronounce your everlasting gospel and come back to this earth. So we thank you that we have life, that we have breath, realizing, Father, for many of us that it's not easy. Some of the things we're going through are extremely, extremely hard right now. But we pray, God, that you would show us the way, give us the ability to be like Job at the end of his life, to see the things that you're doing and rejoice in them. And, and thank you that those trials can define us as who we are as mature believers. They can bring us to that deeper walk with you. So we thank you that there's always a hope, that there's always a plan. And we do pray for those that are hurting, that those who are in depression and are seeking God a way out to minister to them. I pray that people at church would be very sensitive to that and be able to see it, that you would help them discern it and minister love to them and minister truth to them and help them then grow in the knowledge of their salvation to where they, they can turn around and share that living water and share that joy with others around them. So thank you for that. Thank you for the continued healing, God, of the people that you are touching right now. And thank you again for our travels and all that you're doing with us for a time of rest and for using all those in Puerto Vallarta um, in our place to be ministering and teaching. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, everybody, that will do it. We will see you again tomorrow morning as we move on in Job and Matthew. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. <laughs>